You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms and the new 110 Ultralight. At about six pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory blueprinted Savage 110 action. The carbon fiber wrapped stainless steel barrel makes it durable and lightweight. The rifle comes equipped with the Savage AccuFit technology, so that means it's adjustable and it comes in a variety of calibers. The 308, the 270, the 28 Nosler, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 30 out 6, and much more. If you want to find out more information about the 110 Ultralight, visit SavageArms.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, welcome back, guys. We are... uh, we got Mr. Greg Glessinger on the line once again. If you've noticed, he's been, he's, uh, he was here frequent not too long flyer. ago. He's a frequent flyer now. Uh, third time's the charm. Uh, first two podcasts were great. We're talking something we've never covered on this podcast before. Yep. For for a lot of reasons, we've never covered it. Matt and I aren't that experienced. Nope. We hunt a lot of big timber farms, uh, a lot of just uh, mountainous terrain here in the Ozark Mountains. But Greg has a long list of experience and success stories by using decoys. So, Greg, thanks for joining us. Oh, man, love it, man. Always love sitting down and talking to you two guys. It's always a good good afternoon to do it. Well, and this topic in particular, like, we, we decoy turkeys all the time. We love calling turkeys in, getting that reaction, seeing it. But taking running whitetails and getting reactions out of decoys and bringing them to within bow range sounds amazing it does but just we just don't have the experience doing it and i've heard multiple stories from you and casey about the success this the adrenaline rush and learning more about deer behavior as well through the process so it's gonna be great to be able to sit here and, and chat with you about it and glean all that information from you as as you share it with us and the listeners. So we certainly appreciate it. Oh, glad to do it. Greg, real quick before we do it, what's the biggest deer you ever killed over a decoy? Uh one seventy five. I like it. It's a big deer. How many how far was it when you shot him? Uh, well, that was just last year. He was 31, 32 yards. 
the closest one I've shot is about 10 or 11, and Ooh. he went 170. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. I like it. So how many deer bucks have you tagged over decoying? Uh, four, three boons and one mid-50s. Jeez, right on. So a 171, a 175, a 170, and then a 155. And obviously, that that's that's what's being harvested, not just observed and witnessed within bow range, reacting to some of those um, hunts you guys have had. So, like, give us a quick story of one of the most exciting reactions. And it could have been one of the harvests that we'll talk about, but one of the most exciting reactions to a decoy that you guys have witnessed while in the tree bow hunting. Well, the, be- the best one I have is actually didn't end up being a harvest, which was uh, we were in a ground blind um, about three oh, or f- uh, probably about four feet off the ground. And uh, we had this decoy set out in front. And this mature buck, he would have been mid-60s without a shadow of a doubt. He, he 165 to 167, somewhere around that. Yep. I don't think he would have went boon, but he would have been close. Um, and he came out of this draw and I caught him right as he, he broke, uh, the, the grass edge and he was so bristled up and so pinned back his ears and you could tell his attitude was through the roof. Right. And the, uh, the decoy was quartering away to us and he was coming from his, his left or the, the backside of, of, of the decoy. And he got within... I'm going to call it eight to 10, probably eight to 10 feet away and did not break stride and absolutely hammered him in the back third of this decoy. Oh, wow. And lifted him off the ground, broke him in three parts to the point that when I got out of there and had to put him together that night, we had to go to Walmart and get three bottles of super glue to put him together. Um, <laughs> Putting Humpty Dumpty back just, together again. Yeah, he absolutely just blew them apart. So we never got any chance to harvest them. Um, but that was one of my favorite all-time experiences. And that's one thing that I love about decoying is it brings so many animals to you. Um, on the flip side of it, it does sometimes push them away or they may blow on it mm-hmm. um, and not want to even get close to it. But having a decoy out in front of you the best thing it does is it takes the eyes off of you and onto the decoy. So you can get away with a lot more movement when you're on the ground in a pop-up pop-up ground situation um, or an elevated blind, whatever it may be. But you can get away with a lot more stuff because when they get within, oh, 10 or 15 or 20 yards of that decoy, their eyes will not leave them. They're just stuck on them. Like a and they're just, it, they're, they are, they're almost almost stupid drunk in a a way to put it. (laughs) Um, And their body language will tell you that. Right, right. Well, I bet it's so cool. Like we, you can observe deer and everyone loves observing deer just in a blind or, you know, feeding situation, doing what they do. But it's very rare that you get to see that much um, level of intensity in deer behavior. You know, rutting, everyone gets excited about the rutting behavior and just chasing a doe by. But, this is about the as much as you can get excitement wise and intensity for crushing other bucks, right? I mean that like 
that's intense right there 20 yards away. So I guess, you know, there's pros and cons to carrying in decoys and hunting over them. You know, kind of before we get into all the stories, talk about those pros and cons because it, it may not be for every situation, right? So what what what's the benefits and then, again, the cons of decoying? Well, the, the, the time that I recommend using it um, is usually the last, call it eight to 10 days of October and then plus or minus the first, you know, 10 to 12 days of, of November mm-hmm. um, that call it a 20 to 22 day period when you know they're in that rut, that you, you know, they're in that aggressive state of mind and you're just using that state of mind um, against them. Sure. And um when you set that decoy up, you're basically, you know, enticing a mature buck um, to check out another buck he's unfamiliar with to potentially push him out of your territory. So, um, you know, the, the key thing is, is to set them up roughly 18 yards. Uh, I, I suggest no closer than 18 yards from your pop-up line or your ground blind. Um, to give that deer enough uh, safe zone or comfort to walk between you and your blind or pop-up so that they, they feel like they have an exit. If you get sure. too close inside of 18, it, they, they just don't want to come between you and, and or the, the, the decoy and yourself. So because they're always going to come down one side to check out who that, who that buck is more often than not. Um, 99% of the time. So you want to make sure you have it quartering to you so that when the buck does come down, he's going to face that buck if he's going to challenge him, which will then will turn, put that buck at broadside or quartering away, which is obviously the perfect shot for you. Totally. And then the flip side of it is depending on the terrain of where you're setting up, there may be a knoll or a little terrain change in your food plot or this open field that you're putting in and make sure that you put it in such a way where you can maximize the visualization of his appearance on the field that you're setting. So if you need to go a little left or a little right, or maybe go to 22 or 23 yards away so you can maximize the visualization of wherever the deer comes from, they can see it. And and you, that's one one thing that when you get out out to where you're going to put them, make sure you you squat down to a position that's high that's equal to a deer's eyes, mm-hmm. and scan across the field to make sure you can maximize his appearance when they come out and they can see him. Yeah, that's smart. Um, so the, the goal is, is just to make it as visual as possible for your whole no question. for the whole area. Yep. No, don't try to hide it or put it in an area that makes it better for the shot number one thing is most most visible yeah and then when you're when you're sitting there putting them out make sure you turn around and look back at your pop-up line or your box blind and make sure that you put them the 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 decoy in in the dead spot of your blind meaning where you can't shoot Mm, because you want him where you can shoot yeah yeah. So make sure you you look back at that, and I take a range Use that finder. Use dead zone, I'll, yeah. Right, correct. Put the put the decoy in the dead zone because you don't want the buck in the dead zone. Yeah. Where you're going to shoot, and then I always take a range finder with me, and make sure I'm ranging back to my blind to make sure I'm at least 18, 
And I usually never go past 22 to 23 yards. Um, reason being is there's been a lot of times where I've had a, uh, a mature buck hang up 8, 10, 12 yards from the decoy and just stand there and just check him out. And at that point, if he's, let's say you set the decoy up at, you know, 30 yards. Well, if he hangs up another 10 or 15, now he's at 40 or 45. Now, depending on your skill set and you're comfortable of shooting your, your bow that far, so be it. Sure. But um, I, I prefer not. I, I rather increase my opportunities and potential of, of harvest. So I always try to stick them between 18 and 22, 23 yards. So if they do hang up at, you know, 8, 10, 12 yards, if he's at 22 or 23, he's going to be at, you know, 32 to 35 yards. Well, that's definitely still a real makeable shot. Um, and don't, don't, don't forget that when they come in to that decoy, they're bristled up, their ears are back and they are keyed up. Right. Um, so, you know, you got to pay attention to pay attention to that, that they are, they are really ramped up mentally and physically. So, I mean, they're really about ready to to blow them up or get in a fight. Do, I got, do you feel ahead. like? Well, sorry to jump in there. Matt, I, I was going to have two questions, so you go first. Okay, my question is: Do you feel like because they are amped up, they're pumping, adrenaline is pumping? Do you feel like it could result in longer blood trails? Because when you do shoot the deer, they they've got all that flow into where sometimes they probably don't even know what hit them because they may think, "How in the world did that buck hit me?" And they just take off. Or do you feel no the doubt. opposite? No, a hundred percent. Um, I've had a couple go a lot farther than I thought and I smoked them, you know, 12 ringed them both double lung, but they're adrenaline so much. And then I've had one that, uh, I shot square in the heart, split the heart in half and, and healing went, you know, maybe 50 or 60 yards. Mm. Um, but they are keyed up. Mm. So, you know, make sure you, you definitely try to get the double lung hit. So I got two questions. I'm going to. I guess I'll do the short one first while we're on that whole target, you know, acquiring the target there, where you're shooting them. But if that deer is keyed up, you know, at any point, I guess, you know, as he's his eyeing up um, the decoy, you know, he could kind of make a sudden burst, you know, thrusting forward to him to engage the decoy. Do you stop the buck at all or make any noise or just as he slows down kind of that pivotal point you know a few yards out before he makes uh, a charge is that when you take the shot like how do you how do you determine when is the best time to shoot that animal when they're so keyed up in a in a moments that you know could change in a heartbeat well more often than not they're gonna go downwind side of them to check them out now there are times where i've had experiences where they just attack the deer and blow them up and never, never really go face to face. And if that happens, you never have a chance to shoot him anyway, because mm-hmm. he's probably quartering to you. Sure. So you don't even have an opportunity to shoot him. So if that happens, you really didn't have a decision to make because that just happened. Yeah. Um, but the minute he gives me a broadside or quartering away shot, I don't waste any time. I, I go ahead and go because at any minute, he could either one un- feel uncomfortable and and wind my scent from setting up the decoy and get uncomfortable and then bounce 8 10 15 20 yards away and then look back so the minute you have that opportunity and you're comfortable with the shot i would not waste it i would go 
not like turkeys where you're always Correct. like, oh, let's let this play out oh, and he's see gonna, what he He's going to flog the decoy now. Yeah. Like when he hits that decoy, it's game over. He's out of there. You feel like if the deer end up touching the decoy that that's your chances of actually capitalizing on it are very, very the, slim. The, the closer his nose gets to that decoy, the higher probability <laughs> of it not coming together yeah. is yeah. increasing because you can't mask that smell too much. Oh, sure. You know, I, when I go out there to set up the decoy, I spray down my boots with nose nose jammer and make sure I try to mask it the best I can. And more often than not, it works. But there has been times, just like, uh, oh, it was probably uh, six years ago, I had John Williams with me filming. And um, I did all this that we're referring to. And the deer came between us and the blind. And just as I was about to release the arrow, he caught wind of something that he didn't like. And he jetted out of there on a dime and and bolted about, oh, call it 12 to 15 yards away from the decoy. I was at full draw and he bolted and then he stopped and looked back and just stared at that decoy. He was Mm. confused, but he was still mad. Well, when he stopped, he gave me enough time to uh, put the arrow through him. Wow. Um, So when when they when they start coming and they're committed it's probably smart for you to understand the ranges where they are um, because he's, he's going to give you a, ch- a, a, a definitely a, a chance to harvest them at some point. It, you ever stop them while they're coming? Like whether that's what, yeah, like that's if they're question. coming in pretty quick, do you ever do any kind of noise to I don't, cause I them don't. to pause? And okay. I don't. And the reason why is when they, when they're, when they're committed to that, that decoy, so their focused. attention is a hundred percent on that decoy. And the minute you uh, do any type of, you know, grunt or anything, he's going to stop and he's going to get confused and he's going to look at you. And now all the attention is now on you and off the decoy. So now you've got this guy confused. So I just let Mother Nature, you know, become his worst enemy and work it against him. And more often than not, if you're ready and you're paying attention, he's going to give you that shot. Mm-hmm. Um, unless he comes in from the rear side and just blows up the decoy. But if that happens, it happens. There's nothing you can do about it anyway. But right. I will tell you this, you're going to look at your buddy or if you're filming or having somebody with you, you're going to look at and you're going to die laughing because it just does, it, it happens and it's just fun to see because that's just them them being deer. Crazy and deer you don't behavior. see that that often. So you mentioned one thing earlier, a couple minutes ago, as you're getting into like the, the pros and the cons, right? You said, I only use it during these situations or this time frame. And one of the phrases was, I use it because it kind of gives me an advantage over the buck, right? I know the behavior, and that's going to incite a response during that window of season. kind of made me think, you know, there's, there's other times of the season when you're targeting specifically mature bucks that, you know, as a land manager or as a hunter you can have an advantage over the deer. Namely, it's their stomach. You know, at the right times of the year, if it's cold and you have the food, they're going to and they need to get up and feed. So you have that advantage over them. There's not that many times when a mature buck gives up something. But but during the rut, most people are like, well, I'm just going to go hunt, you know, downwind side of bedding areas or travel corridors and you know they're going to walk by and that's going to be that but this is almost like another again advantage to say well that's the case but really if i position this decoy on a high knob in a field 
I'm as a bow hunter, I really feel like I might have the whole field to my advantage. Or, you know, if he steps out and it's that magic window time of the year, I can pull him all the way across. Whereas many times if you didn't have that decoy out, you're just going to turn. Basically, you could turn an observation into an opportunity. And it seems like a unique uh, twist on rut hunting to throw the decoy in and give yourself the advantage based on the time and behavior um, of mature bucks then. You are absolutely right. You know, I, I kind of scrape trees are now a big popular thing right now. And we, we use them on, on every single food plot that we have. And what it does is it shrinks the, the, the food plot, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and it brings that, that buck potentially within, excuse me, within bow range. Well, that, that buck does the same thing which is we always use them on open fields, grassy fields, a uh, place where there's big open spaces. I've never decoyed in the timber, never, never tried mm-hmm. it. Um, but, you know, we just had a situation last year that we had a fabulous encounter with a mid fifties deer that we pulled from, Oh, 125 yards away. And he got within 32 35 but he was constantly spinning and walking and just uncomfortable but he couldn't figure it all out he never gave me a shot yeah but it shrunk a huge field by we'll call it 125 by 225 yards in a in a rectangle shape yeah down to we'll call it within 30 or 40 yards of us well if i don't have that decoy there he he doesn't he doesn't come there because he was passing through that plot checking for does and when he saw that decoy, he made a hard right turn and came right to us. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so if you use it at the right time of the year, which is that, you know, last 10 days of October and first 10 or 12 days of November, when they're in that that state of mind, it really shrinks the field that you're hunting. And, um, and that's a prime example of, of another story, Matt, that kind of fits into what you're saying is last year we killed wide load, 175 inch Iowa buck that uh, four days prior to us harvesting him, we were on that same field and, and he came within, we'll call it 55, 60 yards away and, um, was just checking scrapes and kind of just natural movement, but he was pushing some bucks off in front of us. Yeah. And when he exited, I looked at Casey and I said, the next wind spot that we have that the wind's in our favor and we can come back to this plot, we're bringing a decoy. And the reason being is because he just showed me he's the dominant guy of this of this area mm, sure. based on watching his personality and his and his body language. Right. And so four days later, we had the same wind, went back up there and put the decoy out. And I put it in such a way that it was an L in a field so that the L was going north and south and then made a hard right turn and went due east. So I put it in a corner so that if he came from the east or he came from the north, either side he'd be able to see it so i covered my basis no matter where he came from and he came out roughly 350 to 400 yards away and you could see him standing up on this ridge looking staring straight at the decoy and then he went on a flat out step for step never quit to the first scrape and then was coming to that decoy Oh and word. you could tell within <laughs> within 200 to 250 yards away, his ears were back and he was brussled up. And when I saw that, I'm like, 
he's coming all the way. It's over. It's it's amazing that to want to hear the story and and everyone can get to kind of picture in their mind of like this this hunt just kind of unfolding. But from that distance, that deer was zeroed in, locked in, fully committed, and you can tell it in that behavior. So you have 250 yards to prepare for a shot opportunity that you feel probably pretty confident you're going to get based on the way he's walking, approaching. Um, but how, how crazy that, you know, that level of detail, detail you know, he's telling and, and trying to identify with this buck um, 250 yards away, that incited that much response from him. That's, that's wild. Oh yeah. And, and you know, he, and when we were watching this in Ravelite, I was saying, and it's all on video as well, it actually aired on Critical Mass this past mm. fall. Um, and I said, there's two scrapes here that we identified from from the from the previous uh, hunt. I said, he's going to hit if one of them, if not two of them. And when he hit the second scrape, which was exactly 31 or 32 yards away, I didn't wait for him to finish the scrape to come to the decoy. Yeah. Because when he hit the first scrape, you could tell by his body language he was mad. And right. I'm like, okay, I always try to harvest deer when they don't know you're there or they're doing the things that they want to do. And when he was doing his scrape and his head was up, uh, obviously when they're moving their head and they're snapping those twigs, the flight of the arrow is now masked by the sounds that he's making. Yeah. And we all know that every deer jumps a string on a, on, on a bow archery uh, harvest. So, when he was 31, 32, I'm like, that's close enough for me. Let's go ahead and take him while he's there. And um, obviously the rest is uh, DOD history and it worked out. But you got to be thinking all the time when, they, when they're committed, you know, think, play out the scenario where you think he's going to go and then know the ranges and, and be ready. Because uh, when they see that decoy, more often than not, they don't stop stride. If they're coming they're coming right right wow that... and i and, and we, we i i never and of all the years of doing this i've never gave any type of sounds or grunts i just let the decoy do all the work right i mean it's again you can visually see how that deer is responding and same thing with with turkeys we, we talk a lot on the podcast hey if that bird is just coming in and he's strutting and he's closing the distance or adam you had birds three gobblers just run in from 250 yards away it's like uh i don't need to do anything like they are locked in they're committed let's just sit back and watch this thing unfold but that that's i guess you're talking about the l-shaped field um going back to the previous conversations like you could take the big field that's you know you could see everything make it small but then even with an irregular shaped field l-shaped kidney shape you know whatever turkey foot yeah hourglass deer steps out to the opening you can put that decoy in that focus um to cover so many more yards that is extremely advantageous when you're bow hunting 100 percent. the the only downside of decoying one is uh they're very loud getting to and from the set and they're very cumbersome so if you got a backpack and you're carrying your bow in your left hand you got to you got to realize you got to put that decoy on your shoulder mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's not easy to do. Um, it's obviously doable, but you got to be committed, um, to do it because it's, it's really a pain. Um, but 
uh, it's it's a wonderful thing, and it's it's one of my favorite things. Every every single I've been through, I don't know, six or seven camera guys now over a, a 12 year period, and every single one of them never had any decoy experience or watched it. But but by the time they leave, every single one of them go. That is some of the most ex- unbelievable sold. encounters we've ever whether you kill them or not mm-hmm. um some of the best encounters you'll ever experience i kind of hate an absolute hoot. i i, I kind of hate that we that you hadn't started doing it when i was filming with you i had just started after you left yeah oh well yeah. well prime example casey you know he's been with me now this is our our fifth year together and fifth fall that is and um the first year i did it I was like, you know, we're going to decoy, you know, we're going to decoy deer. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to decoy deer. We're doing it. And for those of you know, Casey, he he has this funny look on his face. Like that's a big question mark. And are you a borderline idiot? You know, that's kind of, kind of what his body language and face looks like. Those vibes come across. Yeah. I can see that. Oh yeah. hundred percent. You know, he's, he's a really super guy, but his body language gives up what he thinks sometimes. Um, and so, by the end of it, and now we've done it so much, and we did wide load, and, and we had a, a couple amazing experiences last year in Missouri. Um, he is, like, all in on this. And now when we're, you know, among friends or at a restaurant or something, and somebody says, what, what about decoying? Heck, he's the first guy to speak up now because he's seen it, and he's convinced that it works. Sure. Um, it, it really is changed the hunting experience at a different level. And that's the part that I love it the most is when they get committed and they're coming, you know, they could mill around for 10 seconds. They could mill around for four four or five or six minutes, but they are bristled and they're in their own world. And long as you don't blow it up or make noise or whatever, or move too much, they're so focused on that decoy. You can get away with almost murder. So, it it kind of goes back. It reminds me of one of some of the first advice my dad ever gave me. Um, hunting period was, hey, the first time an animal gives you a clean ethical shot is you take it. You know whether it's a turkey, whether it's a squirrel or a deer. If you've decided that that's the animal you're taking and you've got the shot opportunity, take it because you don't know if it's going to change in a heartbeat. So it seems like that is extremely applicable to decoying. Hundred percent, absolutely. When the minute you have that shot and you're comfortable with it, don't wait a second more because he may either one charge the decoy, and when he does and he he blows it up, he's gonna he's gonna pounce fifteen, twenty, thirty, forty yards away and look back and try to understand what just happened because he's confused because it is a very loud plastic sound, obviously, yeah. and they're unfamiliar with that. Um, so the minute you get that chance and you're comfortable with it, let it go. Don't wait. I feel like you could get lost in the moment, though, if a oh, if man. a big deer is charging in or strolling in, ears laid back, and be. I think it'd be easy for a guy. I think I would do it probably the first couple of times. Would be like, oh, this is really cool. Just watch just him. Oh, I better witness. be shooting now because. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very true. I could see why that would happen. Yeah, no doubt. So, you you had talked kind of pre-show of a couple different uh, specific tips for. Um, setting up a decoy and everything. But one of them that I thought was brilliant um, was in the storing or the prepping. Like when it's decoying season, how are you either 
transporting or storing that decoy? So when when we start getting close to that timeline, I'll take the decoy out of the garage and I'll and I'll lay it outside um, to let obviously nature scent kind of settle on him. But I also make sure that he is not in in a position where he's going to get a ton of frost on, on him overnight, because you just it's really tough to get that off unless you really want to scrub it, mm-hmm. and you don't want to do that. So if I know another another really good tip is is if we're decoying in a spot and sometimes we we like the spot and it's really active and the connection cameras are telling us hey this is the spot we should be and we're in there in the afternoon and we know we're going to come back the next morning i will not haul that decoy out i will i will put it stash it in a tall thicket of grass or somewhere and put stuff on top of it and and so you know it kind of gets a mask of smell, but also covered up in such a way that I know that frost is not going to be heavy on them when I come back in the morning to pick them up. Um, so I learned that over the years. I, I used to leave them in the, in certain spots um, uh, from the farm. And then I learned one day that I come back and it was full of frost. And that, that did not go well that day because it takes a while for that frost to melt. Sure. And it's very rare where you see a, a deer come out of the woods unless he's got snow on there's a heavy mm-hmm. snow that's a different conversation but have you ever seen frost on a deer especially like completely on one side of him or, or <laughs> no, it's like was it's, he just stretched out like a horse you see a little bit between the shoulders sometimes the back of the neck but that's about yeah. it or on his rump yeah, yeah. That's it's about just it. it's just not normal no correct and another tip too is my favorite decoy of choice um that that i really like um is the, the flambeau boss buck Mm-hmm. Now, a trick I've learned over the years to help set up quickly and easy, because usually when you set up, if you do it in the morning, obviously it's at night, but if you do it in the afternoon, it's in daylight. But so is I take small little black zip ties. Um, actually, they're white, actually. And they have little holes in the legs. Why well, zip tie through the holes and create a bigger hole so that I can easily get in and out the stakes that comes with the decoy, because the stakes that come with a decoy that are designed to go into these little holes that are molded into the leg are very difficult to manage hmm. and take a lot more time to do it. So I just take a zip tie and put zip ties in each leg in those holes so I can get in and out of there very quickly. And I put those pegs in the uh, pocket of my pants. So when I get out there, I'm quick and fast. I grab the, the pegs out of my pants real quick. I put them down and I'm gone. I don't sit there and waste a lot of time. I try to minimize my scent around him as fast as I can. Yeah, hmm. makes a makes, lot of sense. Yeah, that that's makes a lot of sense. So, what what are some of like the other? You, you mentioned you know four to five harvests here. Um, what are some of those other stories um, that you can share with us? I had countless encounters. I mean, a lot of them are on, on ton of them are on video. Yeah, that. One, uh, they never gave us a shot, or two, they completely just blew up the the decoy. So the four harvests I've had, three of which are are, are over Boone, um, I I've probably had five or six or seven encounters that are you know very mature, call them 140 to you know 170 class deer that we couldn't harvest because one they blew them up, or two I never got a chance. Um, Sometimes they come in and check them out and then they don't like it and they move on, you know. Um, 
and, so and there's, there's there's probably quite a few deer too, like you know, young buck reaction. Well, there is. Just describe and, and some so, of that to to us. Well, unfortunately, when you put a deco out, you're you're taking a risk, and sometimes the the does are going to blow, and they and they want nothing to do with it. And I, it's one thing I cannot stand more than anything is when deer start blowing because when they start blowing, who knows if there isn't a buck that's you know 50 yards in the timber line and he hears that now he's not coming. Yeah. So that is definitely a downside of it, and it will and it will happen to you at some point. Some of the smaller bucks, the one and two and three year olds, more often than not, they're going to keep their distance. And some of them are brave enough and stupid enough to put their nose to nose. I mean, there'll be times that you will laugh your tail off by what these little young bucks do. <laughs> they think they're, they're king of the hills and maybe he's a, you know, a 20 inch deer, but he thinks he's Goliath, you know? Yeah. Wow. And, and what they do is actually will make you laugh. Mm. Um, but more often than not, the younger guys will, will keep their distance. Have you ever had a deer, a, a non-target buck, knock the decoy over and you have to go and put it back up? Oh, yeah, I have for sure. So when when he does knock him over, it's such a loud noise that it's going to clear the field. Ah, uh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then once they clear, you, um, I always make sure I spray down with nose jam before I get out there on my boots, get out there, set it back up and then hurry up and get back into your setup. Hmm. Wow. That is, if you don't need super glue, if you need super glue, well then it's over. So, you know, yeah. that better stash it in is. the woods for till the hunt's over. You know, that decoy you say you like so much, it's a, it's a rather large decoy. Um, it is. And it, you know, that kind of makes me think a lot of people always ask these questions, um, to us with like, with, turkeys it was like well what's the decoy of choice and it's like we've always kind of said yes there's other decoys that are more packable that you can just wad them up stick them in your pocket but then there's also a little bit more realistic and for some reason they um, a different material and we just have a lot better success with this decoy rather than that decoy so I don't know what other types of decoys you've tested. And of course, you know, there's good, bad of, of any, of anything out there, but you set a line of like, when you, when you take a decoy, you're committed. So have you found that, that, that specific decoy has a body structure that although is bigger than some of the other decoys out there has a way of kind of luring in the bigger bucks, but not so much uh, allowing, I guess, intimidating the younger bucks to where they don't come in? What's your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I've only used the boss buck. Um, I haven't used other decoys yet, and it's been so good to me, I, I just can't seem to get myself away from it. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. It's, it's, it's a good size. It's not too big. It's not too small. Um it's fairly light. I, I make sure he's put together um, before I leave the truck. And then if I know I'm going back to that, that spot, I will stash him somewhere uh, on the way out and then get him on the way back in so you don't have to carry him. Because it is, it is cumbersome and a pain in the butt to, to haul and loud. But uh, it's worth all the time and energy to do it. Gotcha. Uh, I've never tried like a Montana, which is a, you know, non three-dimensional type 
type setup. I, I don't know how they'll work. I'm not saying they will or won't. I just don't have any experiences with them. Yeah. But I will tell you this is from all the years of me watching them, those deer will check them out from different angles. Mm-hmm. And What's I don't funny? know. And I don't know if not having a three dimensional decoy, if you have a flat, like a Montana situation, if they're going to come downwind of them and see their, their backside is that going to throw them off? I have Where'd no idea. Where'd he go? <laughs> I'd, I'd imagine, well, I've, especially I've that. Actually had, I've actually had um, small bucks um, come to the back side of them and, and kind of almost – I've had one one-year-old mount him like <laughs> thought, thought he was a doe <laughs> and dang near broke his legs from trying to mount him. So I don't think you would get that reaction if he was one-dimensional. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and two, you know, that moment of truth, let's say they're coming downwind, they're circling the broad side of the decoy, and then, then they turn to get eye to eye with that decoy and, and kind of moments of truth there. That's that's when a lot of those shot opportunities are coming. The, you're going from maybe a, a quartering two to a broadside quartering away of the, the target, right? And then you don't want that to be the, the, the moment when they booger. You want, again, those extra additional steps moving into um, the decoy, closing that distance to give you more shot opportunity. So I, I, it just kind of makes sense that, you know, 3D would probably yield some more realistic natural results, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, you know, another really great decoy, which I don't have any experience over, but but um, is the David Smith ones. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're uh, heavier than the, the Boss Buck, but far as looking from a structure of a body and realistic i don't know if there's a better decoy out there than that i think Um, our our buddy seth our buddy seth has put a mounted (laughs) a mounted (laughs) shoulder mount on a on a on the body of a decoy and and says looks looks awesome of course it'd have to look awesome it's a mounted deer (laughs) yeah but i don't have enough mounted deer on my on my wall um to to sacrifice one i have personal friends who do that um, it one, it's, it's very cumbersome and very heavy Yeah. because now yeah. you're carrying a mount and a decoy. And then when you mount it on the decoy, it's going to be very Top front heavy. heavy. So you gotta, yeah. you gotta make sure that you're going to counter it, counter it on the back side of the decoy or some, some stake system that you know is going to be stable. So he doesn't tip, yeah. wow. but it, it does, it does look real. I'm not going to take him away from it, but, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's a lot, a lot of work. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. It's almost like for me, I'll I'll relate it back turkeys because that's where I've decoyed the most. It's like turkeys. We all know that a mounted turkey decoy would be the most realistic thing you could find. But when a plastic one that's much lighter and doesn't cost as much, and I don't, and I can put it in a bag and throw it on my shoulder. When that works just as well, that's the one I'm going to go with. Yeah, I I think there's that happy medium of weight, looks, functionality, easy setup. And when all those things kind of come together in the middle, that that's probably the choice that I, yeah. I'd be going with. Sounds like the same with deer. I, I would agree with you. And typically they're less expensive. Right. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. And especially when you know you're putting them out there potentially to watch them get torn <laughs> apart. It's it's tough to put your hard-earned dollar uh, out there when there's a potential of him getting blown up. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But just the thought. Uh, of being able to experience that would would be awesome, and you know, not to take it incredibly too far from the scientific standpoint, but you know, it you 
you would have to be utilizing this in an area that's got inadequate age structure to incite that type of response. Um, you know, you've got to have some competition out there on the landscape to for a, a buck of, let's just say, a stature that most people would probably age three and a half or older um, to get deer to commit to that. So I, I would feel that, you know, if you're in that neck of the woods where you're going to be seen, observing, and you want to have those mature deer close the distance, then it'd be a heck of a technique. But if you're only going to have two-and-a-half-year-olds stroll by, it probably would be a waste of time. Yeah, unless that's what you're it, into. It, it, it <laughs> sure. could be, but if that's what you're after, well, sure. you know, I, uh, most of those young bucks are curious. They're, they're going to get they, within they bow range. Curious. Mm. They are curious. So more often than not, if that's what you're chasing, I'm not saying don't use it. So, um, so you're still you still see them without a doubt come within bow range out of the curiosity factor. More uh, sometimes they won't, but more often than not, these small ones will come within, you know, forty to fifty yards and stand there and really stare them down and try to figure okay. out: Do I know this deer? Okay. Am I familiar with this deer? Is he a new guy? Whatever the curiosity. Um, very rarely will they just see him and then cruise. I'm talking about sure. the last 10 days of October and the first 10 or 12 days of November. When, when you see that, I mean, how often do you see bucks on food plots where they always seem to check each other out or get within a certain distance to check down wind of each other? They always engage. Every single buck does, right? Yeah, yep. always engaged visually. Always or, engaging. That yep. time of year, it's always happening. So, um, you know, the, 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 the big thing is, um, you know, trying to keep that in mind when you're out there. But I will tell you this, just because he is uh, not the biggest deer, I will guarantee you if a deer of attitude of any age shows up, he's coming. And, and we've had some very aggressive uh, seven and eight pointers mm-hmm. that were not the biggest deer on the farm. But my gosh, did they have an attitude the size of a Mack truck, and they couldn't handle it. <laughs> Got you him. Know? Yeah. So that that's fun too to experience that. Is that Absolutely. when you say when that when that big old seven pointer comes comes strolling in? Is that when you're like Casey, you want to shoot him? <laughs> well, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, Casey shot one um, two years ago, um, over a, a, a decoy that we had on a, on a, on a ridge top and I saw him coming down a cedar line. Yeah. And when I saw him, I mean, his body was, I don't know, he Dang. was pushing, I think he weighed in at like 275 or 280. He was just a beast of a deer. He didn't have a rack, but from about 125 yards away, his ears were pinned back and brussled and we were in a pop-up line. And the minute I saw him, I'm like, well, he's coming. Do you want to shoot him? Yeah, and he's like, I can't believe you asked me that question. Yeah, I'm gonna shoot. <laughs> um, and Dude, you know, you so he, he, he yeah, he came, he came within. I think Casey shot him at like eleven or ten or twelve yards. Wow. I mean, it was super close. Yeah, and he never, never broke stride until he was on top of that that decoy. Well, that... never had a care in the world. It was about that decoy. Who is he? Why is he here? I need to investigate, and I got a problem with you, Mister, and we're going to sort this out right now. <laughs> well, that that story and, just is proof proof that you guys, right? You can shift, you can make a game plan, and from that distance, you knew what was going to happen. 
Like he was coming and it all panned out. And that's a lot of movement and you're ground level. Right. A hundred percent. And you know, the great thing is, is we took a field, I'm going to call it. So probably a 30 acre field, maybe 35 acre field. Mm-hmm. And it had two ridges. And we brought that buck in from the other ridge top, which was, wow. I'm going to say, 150 to 175 yards away. Yeah, that's cool. That's so cool. if we don't have that decoy out there, yes, we're sitting over a biologic maxima uh, field. But the reason why he came there was because he saw that decoy. Mm. Yep. Wow. You, got, you, 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 have, you have convinced me that the there's a weakness right during the rut and it's not just find the does find the bucks it's put out a decoy incite the change and you will get responses you that is the one thing that i've learned with decoying is once you set it out you are committed to one get a response from every single deer that comes close to you Mm -hmm. that may be negative Mm -hmm. it may be positive but you are going to generate a response and you are going to create curiosity from every single sure. deer, whether it's a doe, a one-year-old, two-year-old, or three-year-old, or a six-year-old buck. It's going to create curiosity. And sometimes they don't like it, and they'll run away, and they'll blow and be upset about it. But more often than not, you're going to create a curiosity for bucks, depending if he's a shooter or not in your category or not. But he's going to more often than not come in and check them out because – during that period of time, that's what they do. They want to understand what buck is in their territory, and if more often than not, they 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 can't help themselves but to check it out. That's what they do. That's just the nature of a deer. Inquisitive and curious. Curiosity killed cat and the mature buck in this situation. Oh yeah, ask Casey now. When he started five falls ago. One, he couldn't even fathom of decoying a deer. He thought, he looked at me like I've lost my mind. <laughs> and and now, when it comes to that period of time, he's like, are we, you know, is this a decoy scenario? What do you think? And, you know, we talk it over. And he's just as much bought into the program as I am. It's proven itself over and over that it's it's, we make sure that that thing is in our truck all the time, come that time of the year. I love it. I love it. I appreciate you sharing all that knowledge too and experience because I don't have it. Adam doesn't have it. And it obviously is a fantastic tool in the toolbox to, uh, you know, strengthen your odds of, of getting in tight and close or bringing in close rather the mature bucks. It's yeah. awesome. Well, you're, you are going to generate a response. Some of it's not always good, but more often than not, you're going to enjoy the sit with a decoy in front of you. And that's one thing I love about doing it is we've have a ton of really cool encounters that wouldn't have happened or watch deer movement or deer activity or uh, the personality of different deer act. And that's been really one thing that I've really enjoyed over the years. Sure. It's my favorite time of the year um, when it's decoy season. And just every year we do it. Um, some years we harvest, some years we don't, but every year we have really good encounters. I mean, really good encounters. And sometimes you just can't get the shot off and that just is what it is. Wow. Man, oh man. I will get, 
if, if you guys, if your listeners have any questions, um, I'm very active on Instagram. I'm not very active on Facebook. So if you want to reach out to me, um, you can reach out me at uh, Greg, G-R-E-G underscore Glessinger, which is spelled G-L-E-S-I-N-G-E-R at Jury Outdoors. And I'll be happy to answer any of your DMs um, regarding decoying because I've it's it's some of the best best experiences you will ever have in the woods. And I wish more people did it because it is an absolute hoot of a good time. Mm. Sounds like a blast. Oh, man. Well, I appreciate it, man. Appreciate all that knowledge. Knowledge bomb. Well, it's fun. I, you know, you guys, uh, I know it's a big investment, um, but it'll pay you back in tenfold for sure. Man, oh, man. Well, there you have it. I hope I, I know there's people out there that have been toying the idea of, of decoying um, on their place. And, of course, like anything that you just said, the the field, the food plot, the crop field location is is key, and and just like the region, you know, there's a lot of guys in timber country that, you know, like you said, never decoyed in the timber, and and I can't imagine doing it, but I know there's some guys that have big fields, and I can think of one place on on the place that I hunt that is like you could use a decoy down there. Uh, I'd love to see an Ozark mountain buck stare down the boss buck and and see sure. what would happen. Um, but, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of guys, hopefully, that picked up some a lot of nuggets and are like, okay, I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to see what happens. And it may be their new favorite way to, to chase them. Absolutely. Every single camera guy who I've had over the years who watched me decoy, um, when they went home the following year, and if they're not filming with me, they've called me, and we went through the 101 how to decoy. Every ah. single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so um, seeing is believing. I guess, you know, for all those – out there you just you just gotta go do it yeah you just gotta go do 18 it. to 25 yards away yep quartering two uh, yep on the highest point around you to where it's very visible and then make sure you put the decoy in the blind spot meaning the yep. dead spot of your pop-up or your blind so that in turn the buck that you're hunting or a buck could potentially be shot is in your window of opportunity Yep. So make sure you look back and then take a range finder to range that blind or pop-up before you set that decoy so you know where he is. And then also make sure you get down at eye level of the decoy squat so you can look at the field and go, do I need to move them 8 to 10 yards this way or 12 yards this way to maximize that knoll in the, in the ridge or knoll in the food plot so he can be seen from multiple angles. And then look everywhere else of way if you got a L shaped field or whatever to maximize different directions for them to see them. There you, go. you can't do you can't get it 100%, but put sure. as many opportunities as you can in your favor to maximize uh, those bucks to be able to see them from a distance. Perfect. Well, there you guys have it. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Always, man. Always a pleasure if I can help. Uh, let's do this again. It's always a good time. And once again, if your listeners want to reach out to me, just DM me, and I'll be happy to to give you my experiences. Uh, they may not be the best uh, for you, but they're they're proven for me, and they are they are the experiences that I've lived. So that's the only thing I can give you. There Perfect. you go. Awesome. Yeah.